Hello, and welcome to Enough Wicker, a podcast where we levitate with excitement and it spreads around as we discuss the greatest television show of all time, The Golden Girls. I'm Lauren. And I'm Sarah. And today we're tackling the 52nd episode in the series and the first one of the third season, Old Friends. Ah, uh, Alvin. Alvin. I enjoyed this one. This one, I, I feel, always gets very high marks, and rightly so. It was never a favorite of mine growing up, and probably just because of aforementioned reasons of sad old people. <laughs> 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 but it actually is really layered, and I think because, and we've talked about this too, where it's like, sometimes you have an episode where it's like the, the heavy storyline or the very emotional, like real, you know, like crux of life storyline is so poignant and powerful you remember that and you completely forget like what the b story is in that episode and this one the b story is like one of the best like b stories ever it's like Mm -hmm. it's such a funny amazing you know scene with the teddy bear and everything and it's just it's kind of incredible that they're paired together yeah i feel like you need the b story to be as ridiculous and just as like straight up hilarious the whole time as this one is right to sort of stand up to how very heavy the a story is yeah yeah it's like it has to pull it in either direction (laughs) yeah to to be like guys we're still we're still sitcom remember (laughs) (laughs) but i mean it's it's yeah it's really it's funny from the get-go but like let's so let's talk about the beginning of the third season right what the first thing i noticed right away blanche's mullet yes you know it's right there it's right right in front of you And also, right, you know, starting right off the gate in, in the bad way, which was like mocking Dorothy's looks and style and social life, like immediately, you know, it was like, oh, well, we're back with that classic stuff. Yeah, um, it's a little harsh, too, because there's that whole like damn good exchange. And it's like, OK, just tell her she looks nice or don't. But you don't need to be like, well, you look OK. <laughs> I mean, it's just I feel like it, it's it's only the third season, but it's edging towards that type of humor that they really lean on a lot where which is part of the reason that B. Arthur left the show right <laughs> which know? ultimately brought it down <laughs> it, correct which is really interesting to think of it that way so um but then also uh you know kind of skipping ahead a little bit just in terms of like uh the the you know the, the big budget <laughs> we joked about it last <laughs> season where we're like oh they've got the real house and they can drive up the driveway well I was laughing that they were bringing up the budget with a new set, but it's actually true. Like I read in our Bible, you know, the Jim Colucci book um, that they actually moved to a new studio that was quote unquote, in a a worse neighborhood, but that had quote unquote room for some fun new toys. So that boardwalk (laughs) set was like extremely extravagant and had like the ripples of the waves and, you know, the reflecting on their faces. And it's just, it's really fascinating right like how how much of a powerhouse this show was that they keep growing mm-hmm. perfect place for a pizza knish stand <laughs> yeah, exactly i mean we definitely see it again you know it's pretty great um okay so to go back to the beginning scene little jenny lewis is oh there gosh. and there's that very famous exchange well honestly it, it is i think it's very memed um where blanche is like spread it around you know and it's like, my yamato <laughs> sunshine (laughs) um but you know i love jenny lewis so much i love jenny lewis i love jenny and johnny i love rilo kiley really anything she touches and i love her so much that i have a rilo kiley song tattooed on my person there you go jenny if you're listening i'm a big fan (laughs) let me ask you this what was the moment in in uh you know semi-adulthood that you realized that they were the same person 
Well, so she looks the exact same. So I feel like I, <laughs> and I knew that she was a child actor. So I had kind of put it together. Um, a fun fact is in her video for She's Not Me, um, which was off of her album The Voyager, she parodies this episode. Um, so she like has the bear. She's wearing a sunshine cadet outfit. She even has like a little <laughs> water gun. Um, oh, and Fred Armisen makes an appearance as Sophia, which is, you know, perfect casting, <laughs> obviously. Um, obviously. And that entire album is, is wonderful. The Voyager is my favorite Jenny Lewis album. So I recommend that you listen to it and also that you YouTube the video for She's Not Me right away. <laughs> Just so you know, we did not get sponsored by Jenny Lewis for this episode, everybody. So No, know. but we'd love to. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, not too exactly. late. It's not too late. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. But so Daisy's like a little sadist, right? And I wrote this down in my notes for this one. Um, I had never considered it, but so she comes out of Rose's room with all of the stuff for the rummage sale, another garage yeah. sale, <laughs> side note. I mean, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but she's carrying all the stuff and Fernando's in there. And I thought to myself, I wrote down like, did she plant Fernando in there? Because it seems crazy to me that Rose, who is not sleeping for a week after this pair is missing, <laughs> would accidentally put him with this stuff. True, because we all know how big Rose's room is, okay? There's plenty <laughs> of room to put that bear well on the other side, out of the pile. So, yeah, I mean, she's she's a little fucked up kid. Like, she absolutely <laughs> had plotted this all along. It's amazing. Smart, uh, but I though. Also, I, very smart. I love the conceit, though, of, like, when Rose is walking in and she's carrying this big flat box, you know, like, pile of flat boxes so she doesn't see the teddy bear. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Really bye, Daisy. Bye, Daisy. Um, it's just it's just such a funny like sitcom style thing. It's like it's almost like when like they were moving the boxes out of the way of Lily the last time we saw the <laughs> where it was love that. Like, it's like you know exactly what they're doing from the blocking perspective, but it's just still fun to watch. Yeah, it still works totally. <laughs> it still works. It still works. Oh man, but um, but yeah. So all right, so you know we get. <laughs> one of the first funniest lines of Sophia is like you know I like to sit and watch the old guys rearrange themselves when they come down the boardwalk <laughs> like, you really think about that line it's actually I mean this is yet another like you know hidden vibrator slip under the covers <laughs> and enjoy it all of these lines that are collected that you're just like ah you know an older person is saying it yada yada and you really think about it it's like man that is lewd that's <laughs> really yeah. hilarious but to be fair I mean, you know, everybody knows a guy touches his junk all the time to unstick his bathing suit after he comes out of the water in the ocean. So I, I get it. <laughs> sure, but <laughs> are you trying to watch that as like yeah. a form of entertainment? I don't. That is a little she questionable. She did say to me. I like to watch the old guys. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, she's horned up. She's yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, it's really it's cute. It's one. It's fun that we have this new set. You know, two. It's just such a cute little exchange you know where, where like alvin goes cataracts or glaucoma <laughs> just immediately you know she's kind of met her match in in the having you know this this quote-unquote new friend where they're just being snarky together completely from the beginning and i think it's interesting too because you know she again we have sophia just like having to say something about the fact that he's black mm. And then he says something about her being Italian. And it's like really interesting because it's like, it struck me as a lot of older relatives of mine have just something about it's it like it <laughs> in the case of the like the black comment, it's definitely has has a racist tone to it. But it's also about just placing people mm -hmm. in their groups and their sort of like 
ranking in society. And it's really fascinating. Cause like, like my grandma would do that all the time. Right. It's like, well, I need to know, you know, are you the Irish? Are you the, the Italian? Are you the, this, are you the, that, you know, it's just something about like knowing that identity. So I thought that was interesting that like both of them had that kind of exchange. Yeah. Because she asked, she says, are you black in response to him saying dino might. So it, <laughs> right. it doesn't, it doesn't feel malicious or, um, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head about like what yeah. they're doing. Um, but that exchange when they're talking about the names and they're like, Feinstein, Feinstein, ocean spray. <laughs> it's so funny because they're both doing it about something completely unrelated. And then they come to this like agreement and they're like, Oh yeah, I'll say hello for you. <laughs> Would you mind? We're really close. <laughs> so great. <laughs> We're very close. <laughs> it's really good. And uh, you know, <laughs> what's really funny too, in terms of the, parallels you know they're obviously talking about like oh retirement home and this you know exchanging as old people in miami would do um he says he goes i'm a legitimate for real security guard and he's like at the ocean mist retirement hotel sundays noon to one by the way (laughs) well (laughs) he works for one hour a week but it really hints now that we know you know at the end of the episode like what is going on with alvin it's hints to that sort of the future of like sophia being the activities director yeah old mr porter conceit of like you know, just like, yes, yes, you're in charge. Here's your job, you know, and it's just a, I mean, we're going to get into this heavy into Alzheimer's and everything that comes with the sort of infantilizing your parent um, when you have to, you know, mm-hmm. when, when their brain is literally not functioning as, as a, a, a functioning grown adult that you've known your entire life anymore. Um, it's just, it's really fascinating. But I, I completely had forgotten about that little retirement um community you know the retirement hotel he says (laughs) comment because it was just it was just like another future similarity yeah yeah it's very mr porter and actually that's a good um entree into i looked up some pretty grim statistics um from the alzheimer's association and the one that i want to point out uh at this moment is that um they in 2018 in new york state there were roughly a million caregivers for people with um, dementia and Alzheimer's and they performed over a billion hours of unpaid care for these people. So it's like a, you know, obviously of course it's like a full-time job at some point, which I think also like this episode really hints at, you know, the conversation between the two daughters, which we'll get into is so it's such a smart vehicle to, to talk about it because obviously Sophia and Alvin aren't going to have that conversation. And I think that, um, it's kind of easy to be like, oh, that daughter, you know, like she's shipping him off or whatever. But the fact is, like, he does need round the clock care. And, and yep. you know, that's such a tough thing to confront and such a tough thing to address. And um, so when I was looking up information on the actual um, illness, that really stood out to me as like, yeah, this woman is following her father around and like, you know, he's at the boardwalk, but who knows where he gets on the wrong bus. You know, like there's all of these like risk factors that are just built into life. And, um, you know, I I think that this episode really calls those to the front and and obviously invites this conversation. Right. And I think, you know, you're (laughs) with the whole idea of like, oh, she's just shipping him off or other, you know, quote unquote, Uh, arguments against right like her actions like it's almost like they build in that defense because she even says she's like I already took a leave of absence for my job Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) she she even talks about it and it's like you just can't do that I know New York State 
and probably California because that's what we do. We compete with everybody. <laughs> it's the two, two coastal entities of, of having the most progressive laws. But I know that there's at least one um, funding source where you can actually get funds to be a caretaker. Mm-hmm. Um, for, and I, again, I'm sure it's a miserably low pay that doesn't actually support <laughs> real life. But it's at least something because it's, you know, the idea of like paying for out-of-home care when you're like, well, I'm already doing it. Can I just have money to live and support you know, people? I think that there is a program like that, which is really interesting. So it's good that, you know, at least there's something out there nowadays, but probably not in most areas. And probably, like I said, not anywhere close to a living wage. But, um, you know, the, the thing that's also really striking about uh, this, like, episode being centered around Alzheimer's is that you know, Estelle Getty died of Louis's body dementia, right. which is obviously a form Ugh. of dementia. I mean, it's, you know, and, and what it's, Alzheimer's is actually, a, I, I also look this up because in my mind, I always sort of use Alzheimer's and dementia interchangeably. And so um, Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. So dementia is like a general term for decline in memory or reasoning or other thinking skills and sort of that package. But Alzheimer's is a very specific brain disease that accounts for around 60 to 80% of dementia cases. So there's just that interesting fun fact. But so uh, Estelle Getty didn't die from Alzheimer's. She died of Louis's body dementia, which is, of course, a different type of dementia in that 40 to, you know, um, 20% uh, remainder. Yeah. So. And here's another, another grim stat. Um one... Thank God we have Daisy later on because Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. This will be the last one for now. But um... No, well, I have one more. <laughs> also, according to the Alzheimer's Association, um, one in nine Americans over 65 has Alzheimer's dementia. So that specific, that's isn't it? Oh, that's crazy. That is super crazy. Well, that's, I mean, that's the, the, the most fucked part about this disease, as anybody who will you know, have known anybody with dementia or even just seeing this episode is you realize that, you know, part of disease that's terrible is that, you know, you're losing parts of yourself. You can lose a limb. You can use the, lose the function of your internal organs, like your heart or your liver, your kidneys or all these other things. But to lose your brain, which is the connection that other people have to knowing who the real you is, is the scariest part. And I think it's really... Um, skipping ahead, honestly, to the very end of the episode where, you know, Dorothy is like, hey, if you want to mail that scarf, I, I'm sorry, if you want to, if next time we're in New York, we can drop off, you know, the scarf to Alvin. And Sophia's like, you know, I think I'll mail it because I, I really, I want to remember him, you know, like this, mm-hmm. I, that, you know, this way, if, if I mail it that way, I'll always picture him right here on the boardwalk. So it's fascinating to the heart jesus (laughs) right i know but it's but it's so true like so you know i i thankfully have very limited experience with alzheimer's and dementia but my great aunt had it my great aunt was another grandmother to me like i grew up with her just like my grandmother and i visited her she lived in uh northern massachusetts and at the last time i visited her was when she was in sort of like a nursing care facility and she was she was just not her and she you know wasn't I mean as people say like it it wasn't her right mm-hmm. it wasn't my my Aunt Claire that I knew like I walked in she thought it was my uncle like she didn't know who I was and you know we had barely a conversation and that was it and I I kind of remember thinking you know I drove literally four hours up to northern Massachusetts spent like 45 minutes and then came back to you know and 
I met, you know, I went through all this trouble and I remember having this whole thought on the way back of being like, I don't really know if I like wanted to do that. Like if I regret it or not, just because it's like my last memory of her isn't actually her. And it certainly didn't benefit her as far as I could tell. Like she thought I was my uncle. So it's not (laughs) like it was me saying goodbye. So it's just, it's just something that is just so personal to me when she has that, like that, uh, that line at the end where she just knows, right. She's just like, these are the memories I'm going to cherish. It's really going to be too depressing. If like, I go see him and he's even more sick and he doesn't know who I am, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just. Right. You know, and it, it kind of comes rough. into conflict with, you know, like we could talk, this is another podcast, I guess, but like the Western um, approach and view around death is so like, we're just, we have not figured out a good relationship to it. And so nope. I think that our society really pushes that like more time is better regardless of the quality or um you know like like you're saying like even if that person is not even mentally aware more time is better and I think we're starting to sort of like be a little bit more refined in our approach to that um but yeah Sophia's and I think she's totally right like what benefit would come of her seeing him in a worse state than he was for either one of them. And also, you know, Sophia's in her mid eighties. So it's not like she's, you know, like this isn't about her, but there's no way that it's not occurring to both Sophia and Dorothy that like, what if that happens to me? Exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. It's so heartbreaking. Okay. Let's talk about a funny thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So I think one of the funniest lines slash reactions in this episode is I got a right to sing the blues. <laughs> I got a right to sing the blues. And she just walks away after she repeats. I mean, it's it's the same intonation as creamed what was left <laughs> on his pants. <laughs> so, so good. And it's the callback. It's ever. It's like all of the stuff that we constantly talk about on here in terms of B. Arthur's delivery, timing, like, the blocking and her physicality and just how that line is interspersed with other lines in the dialogue. It's just like everything is a plus. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is sort of what we were talking about earlier. Like Rose is so distressed about this bear. And, you know, I, I am not personally somebody who attaches um, sentiments to objects very often. So like, I'm like, you, all right, you got to get over it. Like, it is not, you cannot not be sleeping for a week because this fucking teddy bear is missing, but okay. Seriously, seriously. But it's, it's interesting. It's like, I mean, it would only really work with that character. Yeah. I mean, Blanche would like something materialistic, but like Rose obviously likes something infantile because of memories attached to it. Right. And I think like, it's just, uh, oh man, I mean, I have a lot of family members that are very attached to objects. <laughs> Some may say hoarders and they, it's, it's part of the reason that there's so many, like they have so many objects and they collect so many objects and they keep so many objects is because they imprint their memories onto right. it. Yes. <laughs> so it's really interesting, right? It's like the teddy bear. And again, they're really, you know, it, again, first episode of the third season they're really playing up the tropes here and it, it it makes total sense that it would be rose but it's also like yeah come on like even for rose this is extreme but if you're if you're going with 
you know, Rose is the most attached to her old life and, and having those memories. And like, she's constantly telling stories about it and bringing up like what they used to do, that it actually does make sense that like, you know, to have this missing object is sort of a loss of certain memories. Right. Yeah, that's, that's true. And um, so Betty White is obviously fantastic. We haven't yet talked about Rue McClanahan, but she is, when she's coming in, she's like, oh, here's a bear. I found it. And then Rose leaves and she just sits with her head in her hands and she's like, she's holding Fernando for ransom. And she has to, you know, she sent me one of his ears. Like this, she sent me one of his ears. This, <laughs> this whole thing. And her Southern accent, this whole, this whole episode, like from the very beginning when she's like, whatever, like it's, it's uh, so <laughs> heavy and it just is, it, it works so well. Um, Absolutely. And you know, like she just has this face of, of terror when Rose walks out and just panic like she doesn't know what to do and she feels super guilty which I think lends itself to um you know we've talked about this before but the complexity of Blanche like this is stupid we can all agree that it's really stupid that Rose is really (laughs) upset about this but she knows she did something wrong and she can't fix it and so you know she's just like desperate to to solve the problem that she created because she doesn't want to hurt Rose Right, exactly, exactly. But also there's this, the way that this episode is, uh, you know, written for Betty White and the way she plays it is that perfect, like, poor Rose, like, we have to take care of her. Like, again, like, Dorothy is, when she, <laughs> when, when they first confront Daisy and they realize <laughs> that she's a psycho kid, like, they, you know, and she's like, where, you know, where is she going? <laughs> Dorothy just super calmly and seriously goes like she took him home rose like you know it's like Mm -hmm. like you would talk to a four-year-old explaining where their teddy bear went but then at the same time you know she has that beautiful like competitive rose streak where she gets really intense like all right shut the hell up you know on vacation (laughs) rose you know and it's so serious in the next breath of just cut the crap and get back the damn bear I mean, it's the obviously it's the dichotomy of like those reactions that are perfect, but it's also if they if they had the Blanche, you know, if Blanche's lines were written for her to sort of think it's kind of stupid, then like it wouldn't work as well. Like to have that sort of seriousness to it, so it's it's the same exact like. uh, I don't think we're supposed to talk while we work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm afraid of Rose, like. First, I want to take care of her, but now I'm kind of afraid of her. Yeah, and there's so many little notes in that exchange with Daisy because, like, you know, eventually Dorothy loses her temper and she's like, they're going to take you to the school for bad girls. And she goes to the phone and she's like, you know, like... She goes, I put you in a sack and take you away. (laughs) She's just trying. Um, But I think it's so (laughs) smart of the producers and, you know, not to Jenny Lewis's acting skills because, like, it... I kind of buy it. Like it's very Bond villain over the top. But the thing that I put in my notes was when she has the the water pistol that's loaded with red ink. She and it yes, the click, brilliant on the beaded unbelievable, eye. so smart. I am. I literally looked that up. It's so funny you said that because I was like, I wonder if that was a, a Terry Hughes directorial nod, like if if she had done it accidentally or something, because it it obviously just seems like. She just ends up clicking it to, it's supposed to be to the side of the bed's, bear's head, mm-hmm. right? Because that's where you put a gun. <laughs> and it's a lot of guns in this one. Reagan's America. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I bought a gun. <laughs> Seriously. 
Um, but like, I, I just wonder about like how that went, right? Like one take it clicked and they were like, Ooh, that's like, even funnier. So like trying to get a take that happened, but even if not, I mean, like, even if it's just like a one shot deal and it was just accidental, it's so good. I, I literally wrote that down. It's priceless. <laughs> you see, that's, that's the kind of scholarly observation people come here for. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. This is the absolute, fuck those depressing Alzheimer's statistics. This is the shit yeah. about the click of a bear's beaded eye. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and you know, like the way that Daisy's played too, where she was just like, I missed it when I was grounded for catching a smoke in the bush. (laughs) (laughs) Like you said, Bond villain is like nails it. It's so perfect. It's really great. Also, I adore her knitted vest, by the way, in that scene. (laughs) It's really great. Oh, man. But uh, so going to, you know, flashing forward, of course, to when. Rose has her epic scene you know uh, so apparently Betty White like back in the day like told an interviewer like they were she was asked like what her all-time favorite Golden Girls moment was and that was was throwing Daisy out of the door which is fascinating so apparently you know talking about Terry Hughes the director again you know he had said this was in the Jim Colucci book that Betty was like super nervous about pushing the girl because well one she was like I'm pushing a, physically a smaller kid, right? Because Betty White is an adorably nice person. And she would feel bad about that. But she also was very concerned as an actress of like what people would think of Rose pushing a child. And, you know, because she was like, I don't know what the audience will think. It's a little harsh. And like Terry Hughes was like, no, like she's crazy. She's <laughs> terrible. Like they're going to love it. And of course, like she was so relieved when, you know, she makes this epic speech and just the kicking out the perfect timing. And, you know, she said it was a challenge because she had to push her with enough force that she would get out of the door and the door would slam behind her and she could turn. You know, it was like actually kind of if you if you think about it and look at the scene, there's a lot of motion to do in the right order and like timing. Um, but like she just relaxed so much. And the smile she gives afterwards hugging the bear is so incredibly good. And like it's even better when I watch it again and again, that it is in my memory. Like it's, yeah. it's still laugh out loud funny. It's still so unexpected, even though for fuck's sake, I obviously know it's coming. It's just, it's magic. Yeah, that's another one that's all over the internet. And rightfully so. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Betty White really just, I mean, obviously, you know, she um, provides so much of the comic relief in this one. And and as we've said, like, it's so necessary um but there's another line that I want to just bring up that comes up later and we have touched on this before but you know this show is full of fat phobic and body shaming jokes but Blanche is talking about how she's in ladies petite shopping and and (laughs) Betty and like she tells this whole story about like some guy or whatever and um Rose's response is what are you doing, ladies petite? It's just I mean, so funny. Seriously. It's the whole. So I, oh my God, I love that you brought that up too, because that story is great. Cause she, Blanche tells the whole fucking story. There's no interruption. Right. And the final thing, she's like, can you believe the nerve of that guy? <laughs> you know, and she's just, it's just a gross story. It's like the classic, like, you never know which direction it's going to go if Blanche thinks a guy flirting with her is going to be gross or good because it's like it's seemingly like <laughs> up to the hour <laughs> doesn't matter which one but she says that whole story by herself and then like you said that that one beautiful line from Rose at the end but in the very beginning of the episode Blanche actually tells a whole story like by herself with no audience the Miss Maggie's house on the hill oh right 
she literally is talking to nobody. I think is that the first time that has happened? That's a roast. It's just, it was really fascinating. She's telling a story with absolutely no audience. In that is a roast thing. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, it was really it was kind of fascinating for the characters. Like one two punch of like we get a Blanche mullet and then she's telling a roast thing. You know, but um, but yeah, the what were you doing in Ladies Petite? Again, I always forget that's from this episode. But that just that like very you know like earnest yeah so naive so sweet but uh, like so cutting seriously well speaking of jokes that are based in you know being completely offensive (laughs) are still admittedly very brilliant is um (laughs) sophia goes i thought you broke up with that (laughs) yeah because of the little teddy clothes is what exactly she's like oh look what i made for me um you know and like literally it's just it's so funny because it's like man that was a long time ago that was a long episode ago that was that was you know way back uh in the first season it was what episode 13 (laughs) and they never do that they never call back never do that obviously who how many kids does blanche have we'll never know correct correct there's so many plot lines that don't line up and so decide which is maybe reflective of a new season um they don't really stick to that but it does it is terrible and funny <laughs> to your point <laughs> exactly oh my god and one other thing is um is that a greek myth the myth about black men in the bedroom which is you know oh my super god. problematic as well but Rose responding to that <laughs> like is that a Greek no, myth? Is that, is that a Greek myth? Oh my god. Literally the um I I actually meant to bring that up earlier of like going back into Alvin being like you're Italian and she's like you're black and you're like okay everybody we know. Um like other than that one comment and and obviously the whole you know that myth. Um this is kind of the, one of the only episodes with a black character whose race isn't actually a plot mm-hmm. point. Like it's really interesting you know and you know we've talked about this before and we will absolutely talk about it again of just like one of the big blind spots of this show other than fat phobia as you just mentioned you know and offensive jokes about people who are different um it definitely does not you know it does not include uh you know black and latino and asian characters who are not caricatures you know of of themselves or representing their race or anything like that so it's it's just really you know it's it's disappointing that it doesn't happen more often that we just get a regular character who happens to be black but i think that's also part of what is refreshing about you know uh sophia's connection with alvin and i also speaking of that in terms of connection with alvin so is it romantic you know i also wrote that down i I don't know if it's romantic or not. There's so there's this conversation and then there is some other implications that maybe it's a little bit deeper than a friendship um, or not deeper. I because I, friendships are very deep, but it's a little bit well, yeah. different than a friendship. Um, right. And I kind of like that, actually, that it's a little bit ambiguous because that feels very realistic for the way they they met. And if it were to become romantic, it would probably be like a progression rather than we're just dating um so I think yeah. that's kind of nice I don't know do you do you find them to be like romantically connected I I don't know I feel like that was something later in life that I was like maybe but in the you know I think I'm also thrown because like it's literally called old yeah fun, you know <laughs> it's, yes, it's a pun but like you know it's I think when I was younger I, I completely thought it was just friends right because there's nothing specific like 
you know, I, they, they do hold hands at one point. Um, and, but again, like, so can friends. <laughs> it's, I think what's interesting is that, you know, when you're older and the way that Sophia is portrayed a lot in her relationships with other men is like, it's like less overtly sexual. We would see the other three ladies be very sexual, I would say. Whereas Sophia's more cute, mm-hmm. right? Because like the, these <laughs> things fall into the broader category of like older people are cute together, right? And that's what people say, right? You're like, oh, you're adorable. And you could be adorable by having like a boyfriend who's your age, or you can just be like friends, right? So it's it's kind of this weird perception of elderly people and specifically like Sophia and Alvin's age, I do, where it could go either way. And either way is totally fine, you know? But I think... Um, that's probably what is playing into my perception of like, I always just assumed it wasn't romantic um, just because they were being cute together. Yeah. <laughs> like when I when they were, they were when I was little watching this episode. Um, and the title, like yeah. you said, the title is deceptive. I refuse to allow old <laughs> friends for just this fucking bear. Like there needs to be another play to that. Um, it is very clever in that photo. <laughs> it's really interesting. Um, so. To go back to sort of the dark topic of this episode. Um, yeah, yeah. So his outburst. There ain't, there ain't no avoiding it, man. <laughs> yeah. His outburst, right, when he, like, misses. He, er, I yes. don't, yeah, he misses the bus. And then what really. Well, he takes the wrong Right, bus. yeah. I mean, he's, you know, clearly. The driver went the wrong way. Oh, so sad. Um, I know. So he, but, you know, so he's already kind of irritable and angry. And then what sort of sets it off right is is the conversation about Edna his wife Mm -hmm. um and you know what we were saying earlier and what you were saying about like your brain not working to be conscious of that I feel like must just be absolutely devastating because you know you should know and you know you did know at least for him in this particular stage it's obviously very very individualized and different for every case but like What a horrible situation to be in when you know, you know, this person that you you barely know that you're getting close with can recall the name and some sort of um, characteristics of your late wife and you can't, oof, that is overwhelming and impossible to respond to in sort of a rational, acceptable way. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, even when I was mentioning just like, the pain of like losing that brain connection to somebody that you know like I didn't even like characterize it as what you just said of like yourself that at a certain point you understand exactly what's going on you know the the other thing about the outburst too another you know fun fact (laughs) quote-unquote fun being very very loosely termed there about Alzheimer's is like those outbursts like the anger outbursts it actually they said they often follow like when an Alzheimer's patient like has to or wants to complete a task and they fail um which is honestly it's like super logical that it immediately follows him taking the wrong bus and getting lost right like it's 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 exactly what we were just talking about it's like i know that i should know this right and you can't do that anymore and that's it's just absolutely devastating um so i i thought that was kind of interesting because you know i i think this show does a lot of representations uh well but i think um in this particular case it seems to actually follow the science, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of what generally happens very closely. And like you said before, what happens with caregivers? What happens with pressure on families? His daughter literally follows him around. Like she tells Darth, she's like, I was here. 
I saw the outburst, you know, I saw the argument. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really, it's, it's, um, I think, I think it's done very yeah, well. Yeah, I agree. I also think what's done very well is when Dorothy has to have the conversation with Sophia about Alvin. Oh yeah. And it's, it's yeah. like trying to, you know, like imagining giving your kids bad news about a relative or, or something like that. I know. Um, but I think the piece that I, I think is done well is that Sophia is not so naive that she doesn't know. Like she's not. Yeah. And, and I think that that plays into the larger theme, which is that old people are people with fully formed lives and thoughts and experiences and yes. so, like, if we as the audience can gather that something, because, you know, even before we know exactly what his diagnosis is, when he yeah. has that outburst, you're like, oh, something isn't right. Yeah, he's struggling. And so, like, that she knows that, too. And she's like, I don't, I don't need you to tell me. Like, I already know. That, I think, humanizes Sophia and, you know, serves as a conduit to humanize old people in a way yeah. that is not as sort of in your face as some of the other tactics but also extremely effective <laughs> yeah and she has that line that is so true and goes back to what you were saying about our society's views on just like you just live forever and that's it you know <laughs> um as long as you can um where she goes you need a reason to get up in the morning and even after that life can turn around and spit in your face you know and that's that's pretty heavy i mean this is like you know it, it ties into you know the martha uh, episode where she wants to kill herself because it's just like you need a reason to get up in the morning and you you know it's like and he has all those reasons and yet his brain his body is failing him and and you know and it's it's just tragic for everybody surrounding you know and it's lucky as his daughter says you know that he is lucky enough and you know privileged enough that he has a nephew in new york that can you know give him that care that she doesn't have to literally lose her job or you know lose her house or whatever it is just to try to keep him uh alive and, you know and safe in this way so man it's the tough one but the <laughs> the other you know just another you know somewhat sad part too but interesting character development from from the sophia perspective is when you know he starts to cry like you were talking about before with the edna comment and you know sophia's like pushing she's like your wife your wife like what the you know you, you dumb botch loop you know all that stuff so and he you know he starts to, to lose it and look off and i love how self-aware she is mm -hmm. where she's like hey hey i can't take a hint and she switches from her super you know sarcastic self and just poking and pushing buttons and then she flips immediately and she tries to lighten the moment you know she likens it to sal her husband you know she's like oh he always used to make fun of me all this stuff and it's it's really fascinating because one, it's another softer side of Sophia, just the same way as when Dorothy's talking to her and she sits down very slowly when she realizes exactly what's going on with Alvin. And, you know, I mean, I'm getting like chills because this is like going, you know, moving f forward, thinking about Phil dying. And it's really, Estelle Getty plays this drama so well because she just walks that line. And it takes a lot for both a character, but an actress portraying that character to be able to flip so well from that like snarky type of button pusher to immediately being like extremely caring individual and she does it again too where she she's sort of um her natural inclination is to say don't cry and then he cries and he's leaning on her and she goes that's okay you cry all you want right and it's Ugh. so interesting because actually to me 
it was such a parent moment, right? It's like where you just have to sort of switch mid moment <laughs> to like realize and respond to somebody's needs where it's like your initial gut check is to just be like, don't cry. Cause that's what we fucking do in our society, right? <laughs> for, for an adult or a kid, don't, don't cry. And then you're just like, wait a minute, what am I saying? Of course, cry, cry all you want, get it out. I thought it was so well written. I agree. And I think um, it's interesting that you bring up the Phil thing. Cause I also wrote that. And then, um, of course. Yeah. We have a podcast. Yes, together. of course. Um, but in a couple weeks, we will, um, the episode that we did with Jared Clayton Brown will air. And he also brought that up because it's just so yeah. gut wrenching to see this character and this actress sad because, like, that is sort of in direct conflict with what she normally is. And I also yes. feel like the scene with Alvin, you know, like, I am somebody who's relatively uncomfortable around emotions, but I do think that like, <laughs> like Sophia in this, there's a time where that has to be second because the emotions are just so big and so, yes. um, you know, real and present. And so you have to just, you either can like push them away or you can accept that they're there and pushing them away is never going to work. And particularly in this situation where, you know, like, it's kind of insurmountable. Like there's nothing really to do about mm-hmm. it, but cry about it because you can't fix yeah. it. And like, what, a what an awful situation to be in. Um, and so I think for her to be able to kind of step outside of herself and be like, yeah, like, you know, you, you have to process this in any way that you possibly can begin to process it is really um, just a nod to how good of a person Sophia is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And you're right. This is, there is no, there are no comforting words that you as a talking to a person who has and is in the throes of struggling with Alzheimer's and literally losing their thoughts <laughs> and, and functionality. It's like, there's nothing more to do, but just let them be emotional. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, yeah, it's a really, it's such a powerful scene and it really, um, you know, I mean, oh, Man, I mean, <laughs> still Getty really bringing out the acting chops. And actually, actually, she won the um, the Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actress. So there you go. We're sitting here, you know, fawning over it. And she absolutely won uh, this, the uh, the Emmy for this specific episode. So boom. good job. There they got go. one right. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Holy crap. Um, can we end on a funny note? I would love to. <laughs> I just told you I'm uncomfortable with emotion. Please do. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, you're going to have to get a drink after this. Um, I really, I love when, right before, and again, this is what this show does so well, of just right before the, um, you know, the the bridging of uh, Dorothy laying on this like really intense information where she's basically telling, telling Sophia that she followed her to the boardwalk, you know, that she witnessed all of this and she talked to Alvin's daughter and yada yada. She's talking about following her and Sophia goes, that was you? Thank God. I thought, you know, the enforcer was out on the road. <laughs> <laughs> it's like any excuse to get a mafia joke in. It's just, it's, it's really well done. <laughs> oh my gosh. Magnificent. But all right, I think that's it for Old Friends, mm-hmm. launching right into the third season with a bang. <laughs> um, all right, well, join us next time. We're going to discuss how the gig economy was alive and well way back in Reagan's America. <laughs> Take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>